I don't know if you have experienced it, but if you wake up and you don't have water service at your house, everything is like stop. You don't know what to do. You, you It's almost like your, your life stopped because you don't have water. And imagine having to address that every single day and in a way being used to that. 161 million people in Latin America and the Caribbean do not have access to safe water. And El Salvador is an example of the region's water crisis. United Nations Water says that 80% of the country is under water stress, and more than 60% of the available water is polluted. The government's passed a new water law, promising to improve water access. But many activists say the law is really about privatizing the service. Social sectors in El Salvador marched to the Legislative Assembly to reject a bill that could privatize water and to demand its protection. Meanwhile, women are risking their lives to bring water home in rural communities. Yes, we're poor, but we have the right to water. Just because we're poor doesn't mean we should live without it. So how will this law affect them? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Access to water in El Salvador is a complex issue. And to understand how those in need deal with it, we're talking to a journalist who visited rural towns in the Central American country. I'm Sally Habiel. I'm a freelance journalist for El País newspaper. Sally Habiel is from Lima, Peru, but she traveled to El Salvador to cover this topic for the Spanish newspaper El País. There, she got to see the struggles of one particular community. Panchimalco is a municipality located about an hour south of El Salvador's capital. It has a town center that's well-known for its crafts, its colonial art, but it also has rural communities. These rural communities have serious problems because families don't have drinking water in their homes. In particular, there are three communities most affected by this problem. Bajales, El Devicedero, and Panchimalquito. We're talking about 730 families that have never had water in their homes. Getting to Panchimalco is challenging. You might need an off-road vehicle because the area is hard to navigate. The road is not completely paved. It's hard to drive because it's a really curvy road. You see people walking and also hitchhiking. In a car, it's not really far between communities, maybe 10 minutes, but some might spend 40 minutes walking. Once she arrived in Panchimalco, Sally met a group of women dealing with the water crisis. In Panchimalco, and in many rural areas of the world, it's the women who end up looking for water because they're the ones doing the caretaking, the cleaning, and the washing. So it affects them more. And in Panchimalco, I met women who have spent their lives going out to find water. That's what unites them, too this constant struggle to find water. Sally says those women have become leaders in their communities by organizing around water. The majority are mothers, breadwinners. They have young kids. Others have grandchildren. And they're still constantly fighting for solutions. 
But to access water, these women embark on a journey. The first option they have is a well. Every five to eight days, a little water arrives. But if the water supply is low, it could be longer. It could be two weeks before water arrives in the community. When it does arrive, it's available for a few hours. And all the women run to get in line to try and take home two barrels of water. That's the limit that's been established. But by the time the last people arrive there, there'd be nothing left. So one water well for hundreds of families. There's also no water sanitation or pipes in these communities. Only faucets installed in certain areas on the streets, called community points. There, the women line up to fill up their buckets. But they're also responsible for their own water distribution. The well isn't run by a company. It's a cooperative, a neighborhood association. This is really common in rural communities in El Salvador. Families organize and create the well with the local government, and the families manage it so that people can get water. These are areas where the federal government doesn't have a presence. Each household pays five U.S. dollars a month to get the two buckets of water per week. The money is used to maintain the well, not for profit. However, the women have a couple more alternatives when the water well runs out. Anyone who can't get water from the well can buy it from two tanker trucks that sell five barrels for $10. Of course, not every family is able to pay that, and so they go to nearby rivers. And it's on that journey to the rivers where things can become dangerous. Sally spoke to a woman who knows this too well. Estebana Bonilla is an artesian from Panchimalco who lives in a rural area and walks to work in the town center. Many women I know, especially young women, have been raped, kidnapped. We always had to go looking for water wherever we could find it. There was a river that would last us through the summer. Getting water from the river is a safety risk for these women, but also a physical risk. They have to carry those buckets all the way back home. And Sally went through these roads by car, confirming just how difficult they are to navigate and how hot they can be during the summer. You can imagine how difficult the trek is with these barrels on your head, right? These women know how hard it is, and some of them, the older ones especially, decide to go themselves instead of sending their young daughters because they know what could happen to them. We prefer to buy water from the trucks. But sometimes it's not clean water. It's water that's already been used and maybe even has pieces of toilet paper in it. We use it anyway. She talked a lot about how she's lived without adequate water for her entire life. She told me how they organized to make use of the small amount of water they could get. They used it to wash eggs, then to wash dishes, and then... If the water was still good, they tried to make coffee with it. So they were trying to get as much use out of the water as possible. The organized women in Panchimalco are currently negotiating with local authorities to construct a second well that should be enough to provide water to the entire community. If you think about it, they're not even asking to have water in their homes. 
They're asking for water in the community, which would ensure they have at least two barrels. That's less than what most people around the world get. But why is El Salvador dealing with a water crisis? The Salvadoran Ministry of the Environment revealed in 2020 that 71% of all Salvadoran river waters are qualified as bad. The United Nations says that in El Salvador, a country of 6.5 million people, more than 600,000 don't have access to any type of drinking water and sanitation service, not even through rainwater collection. That's more than 10% of the country. So, to help us understand the country's struggle with water, we talked to an expert there. My name is Miguel Gutierrez. You heard Miguel at the very beginning of this episode. And I'm the manager of WASH, World Vision's El Salvador Interventions for the whole country. World Vision International is a humanitarian aid organization. Miguel has been working with them in water sanitation and hygiene interventions around the country. Miguel, how hard is it to access water in El Salvador for your average person? You know, uh, regarding the water, but the point is that we are not exploring water in the most proper way. First, the use of the land that we are having. Maybe we don't have laws or the territorial order that we have regarding to the exploitation of the land. It's not the most suitable for the recharge of the water sources. Then we have the technology that we're using to exploit our water. And third, it will be the involvement of different stakeholders in this process of exploiting water. And because some of those structures are failing, Miguel says that's the root of the problem. For example, the national institution that is in charge of leading the water access for the population, it has registered the losses that they were experiencing in their main system was above 52% of the water that they were producing. We have above one million and a half children, adolescents, and youth, that they lack water access. Wow. Something to point here is that there's a main difference between water access and tenure of water. Mm -hmm. Water access here in El Salvador is measured that you can access water through different water sources, meaning you can go to a community point, to a water source in your community, or even get it from a neighbor. And water tenure, that is the most important one, uh, it's meaning that you have water inside your household. But even though we have some relative high percentage of coverage of water tenure, we are not measuring how many days at a week people are having water and the quality of this water. So even though you have, let's say a family might have access to water in their household, they may not get it seven days out of the week. Exactly. Actually, in the territories where World Vision is working, we have conducted uh, some surveys and analysis of the situation. And out of 10 children, we have between four to five children, almost half, that they are receiving water less than three days a week. Oh, wow. And some communities even have a range of hours of service. For example, they might receive on Tuesday two hours of service and then at night other two hours. And this is because the water systems on these communities are not capable of being delivering water 24-7. Miguel says that neither the federal government nor the 262 municipalities in the country can really measure the exact number of people who don't have access to water because of the complexity of how they access it. Each community, it has its own reality because it's going to depend on the water source that they have. And the water source might be really different. We have communities that they might be near to a water system, but in order for them to have coverage, you need to conduct a really high investment in order to amplify those water systems. 
you have a lot of communities that they might be near to a water source, but that water source has high levels of contaminants. So you will need a higher investment in order to be treating this water. It might be an active source that is live during the rainy season, but on the summer and on the dry season, it's a source that cannot be exploited. That's the type of water source the women in Panchimalco have as an alternative. Rivers that might be rich during the winter and dry during the summer. We asked Miguel about the generational effects of this crisis on women in rural areas and what it represents for young girls responsible for finding water for their families. Girls need to walk long distances to access water, and this is affecting a lot of different aspects of their development. First of all, the physical risk is not proper for a nine-year-old children or girl to be having to walk 45 to 50 minutes in a community that it doesn't have roads. So this is first affecting the physical health of the girl. We have registered uh, information that we have girls walking between 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning to go for water because water needs to be ready in the household when everybody's waking up to do the different chores. Secondly, is taking time precious time that girls can be using for different aspects, not only, for example, for education, but also for playing and learning. But the problem is that you have communities that maybe are the third or even fourth generation of girls doing the same behavior because their mom was the one responsible to go for water and the grandmothers as well, and we want to stop that. You know, Miguel, access to water in El Salvador till last year was not a human right, and that's according to the Constitution. So, in theory, that has changed thanks to a new law. The Salvadoran Congress approved the General Law of Water Resources last December. What does the law say? Here in El Salvador, as in Central America, we might have first world laws, but the really challenging part is the execution of the law, because the law might be perfect how it's written, but does it have the structural backup needed of the part of the institutions in order to be operating in the field? So it's a milestone to having the, the law approved, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people are having water because what you need to do is move to the part of the implementation of the law. And that is going to require investment and to build capacity in the institutions that is going to be responsible. And one of the aspects of the laws that has been highly discussed is that if it opens the door of not to the privatization of the water. Social and environmental groups in El Salvador say the new law legalizes corporate commodification of water resources over human needs by allowing corporations to control the country's water resources. Under the new law, companies can extract up to 365,000 cubic meters of water a year with a 15-year renewable permit. The law also puts neighborhood associations at the level of private companies, for which they'll have to pay to extract the water, even though they provide a service in the absence of the state. This generated protests from activists and communities. Last year, a special representative for the United Nations referred to the law and warned that water could not be considered an economic good in El Salvador. But who'll determine who has access to the use of the water resources will be a special commission for water administration. We asked Miguel about this. What is not that clear is this commission 
of water administration that is going to have the last word of uh, approving where water can be exploited. And this is really tricky because everybody should be represented there because everybody needs water. But who is going to have more weight on the decision? So is water going to be prioritized for the most vulnerable population? or it's going to be prioritized for the development of private investment. So those are the, the parts that maybe are not that clear in the law. Miguel says one of the things to consider during the implementation of the new law is the price for water. I live in a place where I pay significantly less for water than people pay in a rural area. And that shouldn't be like that. Yeah, you have How much? In the urban areas, you can pay less than $5 monthly to have water access. In communities, sometimes an investment, $10 to $12 a week to have water because they are paying for a water truck to go inside the community to fill the tanks. And it, it shouldn't be like that. Uh, we as World Vision advocate for that, to reflect that everybody should be included in the discussion. But at the end, we should keep a focus on assuring water for the most vulnerable population. So, Miguel, does the law address any of that? Are there any positive points in the law that might help guarantee access to those who need it? There are some lines between the responsibilities that this water board is going to have. That includes the identification of the people in need and of the proper exploitation needed. That's something positive because it's it's included. The concern is who is going to be in charge of this. Finally, knowing all of that, but knowing the task that's still ahead of you, do you think it's possible to end the water crisis in the country? It's definitely possible. At the end, we're all trying to address the universal coverage. We, as World Vision, we are working with the government because we have this really challenging uh, goal of at least having three municipalities with declared universal coverage of water access, meaning that every people at the community level and at the schools and, and healthcare facilities have the water in the quality and quantity that they needed. And even though there are only three municipalities out of 262, this will help us to analyze and to see that it's it's reachable, that you can do it. We need to measure this and learn. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Amy Walters, Ruby Zaman, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Jessica Weiss translated this episode. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. This episode was mixed by Cheryl Ottenritter. Our engagement producers are Aya Elmilek and Adam Abugad. Special thanks to Manuel Rapalo and to Emayan Ebanga for lending us her voice. We'll be back. <laughs>